Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountant, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. Anthony LeBull Caruso back with you for another edition and just when you thought that we were going to start heating things up for the summer of sport, we're going to go switch right back and play the game that looks absolutely amazing in the whiteness of snow. Yes, the NHL is back for another season. And it's a very quick turnaround, obviously, due to the restrictions that were put on place due to COVID. And we cannot wait for this year's edition of the season. I can't do this alone. And so this week and for the next two weeks, we're going to be joined by our chief ice hockey analyst, the Lord Mayor maketh his return, Keith Topolsky. Good evening to you. Good evening, Anthony. Good evening to everyone across the Triple H Global Network. And yeah, it has, has been a short turnaround because they needed to push the playoffs back and back into July. And then we had the draft at the end of July. But that hasn't meant that there's been any less controversy. Uh, absolutely not. And the transfers obviously flying through thick and fast. The restructure has occurred here. We're going to get all through all of that, but one can only imagine what it's going to be like this year, the first year since this COVID um, pandemic and the competition going back to normal. <coughs> Somewhat. Yes, the the realignment of the divisions is the big one because obviously they had to have an all-Canadian division because of border restrictions and not allowing people in from the US. So that is gone now. We're back to the traditional divisions. Well, as traditional as you can be, given they're only about 10 years old. Um, and the salary cap as well. It's going to be a flat cap for a few years yet, so no increase to the salary cap. And that's meant that quite a few teams have run into one or two financial problems. And, of course, how can we miss the fact that we now have a 32nd team in the NHL, the Seattle Kraken? I'm looking forward to seeing all the crackheads at the crack house, which is, I'm sure, what they're going to call all the Kraken fans. But uh, it's, it's already it's already started on social media. I'm not saying anything out of place. So this is going to be quite the season ahead. Oh, this is, this is going to be spicy in so many ways. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the puck is about to drop. Let's get straight into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is is Splinters. Let's get straight into it now and we're going to start off with the we're going to start off with a couple of the changes that have occurred for this season that's going to be coming up and as we mentioned of course the expansion the Seattle Kraken coming into the competition the realignment has occurred and now the first thing we need to mention with this is that with Seattle coming in, they've had to rejig a couple of the teams within the Western Conference. Yeah, the only team really impacted here is the Arizona Coyotes, and they moved from the Pacific Division into the Central Division because the Central only had seven teams, and you had eight teams in the Pacific, and with Seattle coming in, and they're obviously on the Pacific Ocean, so you don't get much more Pacific than that. That meant that someone had to make way uh, in the Pacific Division, heading over to the Central Division, and obviously 
Arizona being in the desert, it made a lot more sense than trying to move out one of the Alberta teams, uh, which was the only other real option. So Arizona's off to the central, and now we've got eight teams in each of the four divisions. And so far with the coaching changes this year, only the one that's occurred for the Western um for the Western Conference, and it does impact the Arizona Coyotes, who are actually the first cab off the rank for the Central Division. Yeah, they've had a coaching change, and that was to be expected, but uh, the the Buffalo Sabres also had a coaching change, but that was mid-season, so we'll get to them next week. But, yeah, there has been a coaching change. Andre Torini uh, coming in from the Ottawa 67s of the Ontario Hockey League, uh, taking over from... Uh, Rick Tockett, who wasn't able to get Arizona out of the basement. And Arizona's had a lot of turnover because they've gone straight into uh, the rebuild mode. They they had more than a few dramas. They drafted Mitchell Miller uh, last season, who uh, was found guilty of doing some rather unsavory things uh, to a black classmate, disabled classmate as well. So his rights were announced by the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, they had an expose done by the athletic website. And if you are looking for some really good hockey content, I would definitely suggest the athletic as a subscription. Um, they did an expose into the workplace culture to suggest that it was toxic, would probably be kind to the Arizona Coyotes. They were found to have illegally tested prospects. Uh, there was no NHL draft combine, uh, similar to what the AFL do with their draft picks. Uh, so the Arizona Coyotes got stripped of draft picks uh, for that as well. Um, and now it turns out that they're going to be kicked out of their arena at the end of the season. So things go from bad to worse for the Arizona Coyotes. They're in the middle of a rebuild as well. I must <clears throat> pay tribute to them, though. Oliver ekman Larson, who was, I, I don't think there's any doubt, their number one defenseman, uh, but he also had an albatross of a contract. He's got six years left at almost $9 million a year. Nobody wanted to take that on, except apparently the Vancouver Canucks. So they threw in a very, very promising young player in Connor Garland, who was also getting a lot of interest from around the league. And they took back $12 million of real bad salary in Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, and Jay Beagle. Somehow, they have come out of this ahead because even though they're spending more money, they're going to be out from that at the end of this year. So they're in a really good spot to build for the future. They have lost Christian Dvorak um, to the Montreal Canadiens as part of an offer sheet debacle that we're going to discuss next week. But that they've had a decent recovery, Arizona, from a really nasty start, but this is going to get real ugly in a real hurry, and I don't see them finishing anywhere except bottom of the of the Pacific of the uh, Central Division this year. But this could be the signs of a genuine tank job that's going to be happening here. They're going to blow this season up, reshape for next year, and with, as you mentioned, with those three Vancouver players coming over, their contracts run out. And they can basically start afresh after that. Well, it's not so much starting afresh after that, but they'll be in a really good position with $12 million off the books to be able to go to some of those other teams that have got some real bad contracts and say, you know what? That's a real bad contract. We're happy to take that off you, but what are you prepared to give us as the sweetener? And this is what I love about the NHL system with the trading of players. And I really wish that the NRL would look to something similar because NHL clubs, it's quite often they'll go to clubs that have bad contracts and are up against the salary cap. And they'll say, look, you don't want this guy. We're happy to take him off you, but what are you prepared to give us 
as the sweetener, whether it's a young player that is on the way up or whether it's a draft pick or several picks. And there have been a few of those uh, what they call cap dumps this offseason. So Arizona's in a really good place to do that. But yeah, it is a race to the bottom because they've lost Anti Ranter. They've lost Darcy Kemper, two very good goalies. Who have they added? Well, they've added Carter Hutton, who's 32 and been a career backup, and nobody else. So this is going to get real ugly for the Arizona Coyotes this year, given some of the players that they've added. Although I did like the fact that they added Connor Timmons from Colorado on the blue line as a defenseman. He's going to be a good player in the future. But other than that, it looks really ugly this year. Let's move over to the Chicago Blackhawks. You've called them in sixth place. And mm-hmm. what a, a mixed off season. You know, you've, you've called out Duncan Keith coming out in exchange for a youngster. But wow, Marc-Andre Fleury being picked up by the Blackhawks. I know he's in the twilight of his career, but you can't buy experience like that. You can't, but the question is how much time does Fleury have left? Now, what really marked or piqued my interest was Duncan Keith, they moved him to the Edmonton Oilers. They managed to get all of his salary off the books, which is a very important thing when you're moving older players. They even managed to bring back a young prospect in Caleb Jones. Now, he's not a real high-end prospect, but he might be able to play uh, at a pinch on the second defensive pair. He's probably going to pan out as a third defensive third-pair defenseman. They did really well in that trade, Chicago. That was masterful. Then they went to Columbus and got his brother, Seth Jones. Now, Seth Jones is a good defenseman, but he's not quite at that really elite stage yet. And they paid out big, big money, eight years, and I think $9.25 million is the salary cap hit. Now, that's real top-end money for a defenseman, and that's a big overpay. Not only that, but they gave up a first and a second and a real good prospect in Adam Boquist. Now, he doesn't doesn't project to pan out as well as Seth Jones does, but when you throw in a first and a second, that's a wild overpay from Chicago. So, yeah, I I don't know exactly what they were thinking. You're right, Marc-Andre Fleury comes in. Um, after Vegas, this is one of the cap dump moves. Vegas took back a a nothing player and then proceeded to terminate his contract because they weren't interested in him. So Vegas got literally nothing for the face of their franchise. It was simply a cap dump. So getting back to Chicago for a moment, they've got problems of their own at the moment because GM Stan Bowman is under investigation because a former assistant coach is accused of of sexual assault against one of the players on the roster um, back around 2011. Yeah, you can look it up online. There is all sorts of um, uh, all sorts of writing on this. This is going to get really difficult for the Chicago Blackhawks. The NHL is going to conduct their own investigation, I would imagine, because the Blackhawks investigation doesn't look to have gone anywhere. I think this is a bad year. I think Chicago is going to finish in sixth. I think this is going to be a down year. They're trying to rebuild, but I think off the ice is going to be the big distraction for them this year. Wow, that is going to get ugly very quickly for them. Let's move on to the next team, the Colorado Avalanche. And it has to be said that the hat rack is going to be very happy with what you've said. You've called them first into the playoffs. Yeah, they will top the division. I've got no doubt about that because they are a genuine cup contender. Uh, Ryan Graves, who's a very good defenseman for them, 
he got moved to the New Jersey Devils simply because of problems with the expansion draft. So what happened when Seattle was admitted to the league was that they had to conduct an expansion draft. So Seattle simply wasn't picking off the worst of the free agency list. So teams could protect only one goalie and either eight skaters or three defensemen and seven forwards. Now, by protecting eight skaters, obviously that means you can protect more defensemen. Um, and that meant that Ryan Graves got moved. But at the same time, uh, Philip Grubauer, the Colorado goaltender, got snapped up by Seattle. And that meant that they had to replace him. Darcy Kemper has come in from Arizona. That's where Connor Timmons went, as I mentioned a few moments ago. They have really weakened in goal, Colorado. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the market to try and upgrade a little bit more on the back of that during the season. They have lost a fair bit of talent. But if you took Brandon Saad out of the equation, who was sort of a second, third liner for them, he wasn't really in the core. They haven't lost an awful lot. They've done really well to get Gabriel Landeskog, their captain, re-signed. Only $7 million. He probably could have got eight to eight and a half if he went to the open market. To get him back under contract for seven is really good business, given that Nathan McKinnon, who I think is the third best centre in the league at the moment, shortly to become the second best because Sidney Crosby's on the way out, he's going to be looking at about $10 million a year. He's on six and a half at the moment. So there's going to be a fair upgrade there. Colorado, I think they'll do really, really well this season. Whether it's enough to get them all the way is a question mark, and I've been umming and ahhing basically every day my opinion on Colorado at the end of the season changes, basically all because of their goaltending. Their forwards, their defense looks very good. Their goaltending, oh, well, let me let me ponder that, but Colorado definitely topping the division. It just seems like they're going to have a bit of an issue to try and work out who's going to take on the, the reins full-time because, you know, even though I may be a, a, a goalkeeper in football, I do know that the one thing you never want to have to do is change goalkeepers or goaltenders regularly throughout the season. If you can settle on one, it does help your defense quite a bit. If they can't settle on an option, then they're going to actually find that that's going to impact the defensive line and they're not going to be as strong as what some people will actually think. Well, it's a slight, you are right to an extent there. It's a slightly different relationship with goaltender to defense as it is goalkeeper to defense. Goalkeepers and defense, they really have to have a close relationship in soccer or football, as it were. When it comes to hockey, the goaltender needs to know how the defense plays so they can adjust their game accordingly. But if the goalie really stinks, then the defense will start to tighten up and they'll play with a little less confidence and freedom. So that is something to watch there, absolutely. But I think Darcy Kemper, he's got the number one job at the moment. And if he can play to a competent level, then he'll get more comfortable as the season goes by. But I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado is in the market for another goalie. Let's move on to the Dallas Stars. You've called them for fifth place, and they were a little bit unusual last year because they've been known as a team that loved to score goals but tended to leak like a sieve. Last year, it was a complete reversal. Have they struck that balance, or are they going to keep flicking between one side and the other? Well, I've looked at exactly what they've done here with their player movements. They brought Braden Holtby in as another option. So he's a goaltender. Now, Braden Holtby's in there because Ben Bishop's health is always a concern. They've got Jake Ottinger. They've got Anton Kadobin there as well. So their goaltending is very, very well served. They've got three 
um, premium NHL goalies, I wouldn't say elite goalies, uh, who have certainly proven themselves in the past with Jake Ottinger, who is basically looking for an opportunity at the moment. My question is exactly who's going to take the reins there if Ben Bishop's not fit. And how will Ben Bishop go for fitness? That will determine Dallas's performance. I think Ben Bishop is going to struggle for fitness. They haven't really done a whole lot as far as um, on-ice talent go. They have brought in uh, Ryan Suter, who was bought out by Minnesota, which we'll discuss in a moment. Um, they've re- they've done that to replace Jamie Alexiak, who was taken in the expansion draft by Seattle, who was a very, very big unit. He's about 6'5", 6'6", just over 100 kilos. So he's a big unit. Ryan Suter is not going to replace everything he does, but he's not a bad addition. However, yeah, I'm just not sold on Dallas because they had that miracle run during the pandemic season where the playoff format was just thrown out the window and completely rejigged and went from scratch. I think they just got hot for a few weeks there. I don't think that's really the Dallas Stars. I think what we saw last year, even though the the start of their season was completely messed up by COVID, I think what we saw last year is more akin to the real Dallas Stars. I don't think they're a genuine contender, and I think that's going to shine through. Are they a chance to make it through the wildcard playoffs, or do you think that's a bridge too far for them? It depends on what happens in the Pacific, but I think the Pacific is going to be a lot stronger, which we'll get to in the second half of the show. Um, If the Pacific comes in weaker than expected, then yes, they're a chance, but I don't think they're going to make it through as a seed in the Central. If they are going to make it, they're going to have to go the wildcard route. Let's move on to the Minnesota Wild. Uh, You've called them second in the in the division, they're looking quite strong in that regard. In terms of players that they've lost, Marcus Johansson is the player that they've lost to Seattle in that expansion draft. Uh, minimal turnover, but you you've said they they you know a team that doesn't change much can have a benefit because it's another year together and another year of experience altogether. It is, but this is going to be the year that Minnesota starts to change because not only did they buy out Ryan Suter, who's gone to Dallas, but they also bought out Zach Parisi. Now, back in 2012, I think it was, they signed matching contracts, both worth $98 million over 13 years. Minnesota's bought those guys out and they had back diving contracts. Now, what that means is that the money was front-loaded and so the buyout to the salary cap is very, very high. They're not saving much on it in a few years. They're saving money now, but I think in about three, maybe four years, they're basically saving no money. So they're about to go into a real death spiral. So I think at the moment, um, they're they're looking to really try and tee something up that is really big. Dmitry Kulikov's come in. Alex Goligoski has come in. John Merrill has come in. They're all defensemen. Jordy Ben has come in from Winnipeg. You can see what they're trying to do by shoring up what they're losing with Ryan Suter on that back end. So they obviously have confidence to score goals. They just don't have confidence in stopping them. This should be able to shore them up. Be really interesting to see what happens with Kirill Kaprizov. He won the Calder Trophy for the Rookie of the Year last year. Really premium young talent, but he's still kicking around the idea of going back to Russia. So there's no guarantee that he'll play this year. And I think it all comes down to Kaprizov. If he plays, then Minnesota, very comfortable looking at them for that second spot, which is a bit of a change for them because they're normally stuck in that mushy middle. If he doesn't come back, then that brings Minnesota right back to the pack. We then move on to the Nashville Predators. You've called them seventh place. A lot of activity around their trades. And in particular, I note the work that the the trades have been doing with Philly and with Vegas. 
Yeah, it was almost a three-way trade. Uh, it wasn't really a three-way trade because you didn't have pieces going on condition. Other pieces went different places. So it did come down to two separate transactions. Ryan Ellis, really strong defenseman for Nashville. Now with Philadelphia, they managed to get Philip Myers and Nolan Patrick. Um, as a result, they immediately flipped Nolan Patrick to the Vegas Golden Knights for Cody Glass. Cody Glass, very young, up-and-coming player. Nolan Patrick was drafted first overall only a couple of years ago. Philadelphia has given up on him. They're happy to take a look at some other options there. So Nolan Patrick now off with Vegas, and in exchange, Cody Glass has gone to Nashville. Uh, Philip Myers also gone, uh, sorry, coming in, I should say, from Philadelphia on the blue line. Um, they've lost Pekka Rinne. He's decided to retire, long-term goaltender. Very, very good player. David Reek has come in, formerly of Calgary via Toronto. Uh, so he'll play back up to UC Saros, who is going to have to step up as the starting goaltender this season. The problem for Nashville is they've got two real big contracts that they cannot move in Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. Both centres, both borderline first-line centres, both making $8 million, both under contract for at least the next five years. I think Ryan Johansson has five years left on his deal. So... Trying to move those guys who have been severely underperforming is going to be a problem. I think this is the year that Nashville really starts to have a look at a rebuild. But if Duchesne and Johansson start performing, they could easily go close to topping the division. So really anything between second and last, anything around there would not surprise me at all. And how do they get rid of Duchesne in particular? Because he, his his form has been really inconsistent. I mean, we've seen what Nashville were like when they, for example, when they had P.K. Subban sort of around the prime of his career playing absolutely brilliantly. He carried them to heights they would never dream of. Duchesne has got the ability to do the same, but he just seems to be as mercurial as P.K. Subban was. Uh, I wouldn't quite go so far as to say as mercurial, but certainly as inconsistent because P.K. Subban's ceiling, I think, is a lot higher um, than what Matt Duchesne's is. So I, I don't know whether I'd go that far, but certainly I would suggest that Matt Duchesne um, is going to be a problem for them. And if they can't figure out what they're doing there, then I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Let's move on to the St. Louis Blues, the perennial playoff qualifiers knockout in the first round. That's all they ever seem to do every year, just rinse and repeat. Well, they did win the Cup a couple of years back. Uh, they, they've made some interesting acquisitions because Mike Hoffman has gone off to Montreal. Uh, they've lost quite a bit off the off the blue line. Carl Gunnison's retired. Vince Dunn was picked up by Seattle. Alex Steen hasn't been offered a new contract. But Carly Rosen coming in from Toronto, I think, is underdoing it. But they did really well to get Pavel Buchnevich from the New York Rangers. I think that's a really good get for them. And if that's exactly what they can do uh, their forwards, then I think they might be able to stack up the blue line pretty nicely. So we'll wait and see exactly what happens there. But I wouldn't discount St. Louis by any stretch. I do think they're going to the playoffs, but I certainly wouldn't count them as a genuine cup contender at this point. Now, the interesting thing with them as well is they're one of the few teams that have actually had two players traded off to the St. Louis Blues in Jaden Schwartz on the forward line and Vince Dunn on the on the defensive line. You, you mentioned before that every team is allowed to protect one, one goalkeeper, and I guess one one skater, but the, the the fact that they've had two get drafted off like that, uh, what happens with that with that expansion draft? If they get if they get drafted off, do, does that mean then that any any impact on the salary cap then goes with them as well? 
No, Jaden Schwartz was coming off contract and St. Louis was trying to get him back under contract. So Jaden Schwartz was a free agent signing for Seattle. Vince Dunn was the one that got drafted and they decided that, well, they've already done some asking around and obviously Seattle has found that, well, it looks as though Jaden Schwartz not going to be affordable for St. Louis. So a guy who's already under contract will take Vince Dunn and then we'll wait until free agency and take our chances. And they did well to get Jaden Schwartz, who is a good pickup for them. Let's move on to the last team in the segment. It is the Winnipeg Jets. No, we are not going on our way back to Winnipeg, Keith. Uh, You've called them fourth place to to just sneak in, uh, but a weak blue line. You know, have they made improvements to that? Absolutely, they have. They, they've they got a really good forward core. Connor Hellebuck is in the discussion as the best goaltender in the NHL at the moment. They had real problems with their defense, which was unusual because Winnipeg, they thought, okay, we're good, we're good, we've got plenty of defense. And then all of a sudden, one guy retired, one guy got traded, one guy got unhappy, one guy didn't re-sign, and all of a sudden, the backside fell out of the defense. Now they've traded for Nate Schmidt from Vancouver. They brought in Brendan Dillon from Washington. Basically, what they needed to do, they went out and did. They were very smart about it. They haven't exactly lost a whole lot, mainly depth pieces. I suppose Laurent Brossois, it was their backup goalie. He's gone to Las Vegas, which is really, he's really the biggest loss that they've had is the backup goalie. And when you're talking about your backup goaltender as your biggest loss, I think that's a really good offseason. And Kevin Dayoff can be very, very happy with that. If Pierre-Luc Dubois, who was acquired from Columbus last season in a blockbuster trade for Patrick Laine, if Dubois can settle down and really start being the playmaker that everyone knows he can be, then th- this could do this Winnipeg team could do anything. I'm tentatively going fourth place because I'm just wondering whether that's enough change that they've made to the blue line. But time will tell. They've got a very aggressive defensive line as well. And one thing that was noted for them last season, and it's going to be a, a point of conjecture, is whether they can maintain some level of discipline. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were one of the most penalised defensive lineups in the competition last year. Uh, that's quite possible. I haven't exactly checked the statistics on that, but I know that Winnipeg was right up there. Maybe that's part of what allowed Winnipeg to get away with what they did in the playoffs with Connor McDavid, because in the playoffs last year, they were basically tackling Connor McDavid. They were playing a game of rugby or rugby league against him. That That's how much holding and grabbing they were doing, and they were being allowed to get away with it, which really frustrated Edmonton. I don't think they're going to be able to do that again this year. So we'll just wait and see because if Winnipeg spend too much time in the penalty box, then, yeah, they're going to find themselves in a bit of trouble. So there we are for the Central Division. You've called for your playoff qualifications, the Colorado Avalanche, the Minnesota Wild, the St. Louis Blues, and the Winnipeg Jets. And you've got your you've got your roughy potentially – being Chicago, either one of Chicago or Nashville? Uh, I'd say Chicago or Dallas would be the roughie, more yeah. so than Nashville. But Nashville's in there with a chance as well. It wouldn't surprise me if any one of those three teams made the playoffs or finished in seventh. So I think you've got your top team in Colorado. Then you've got your next three. And, <clears throat> excuse me, that features, as you say, St. Louis, it features Winnipeg, it features Minnesota. You've got your top team, you've got your next three, then you've got your next three, and then you've got Arizona on the bottom. So Colorado at the top, Arizona on the bottom, 
And then whoever finishes two, three, four, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Winnipeg. And then you've got uh, Nashville, Dallas, and Chicago filling out uh, that five, six, and seven. Any any bold predictions out of the blue for um, for this one here? Any outlandish prediction for this conference? And you've got to go crazy <clears throat> for it. Uh, as far as a bold prediction, I don't think there is anything bold to be predicted uh, in the Central Division. I do think, however, that um, Colorado, I'm going to predict them, if they get through the first round, they make it to the final. Okay, there you are. They go to the Stanley Cup final itself. There you are, Colorado Avalanche. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll have part two of the Western Conference preview. We will be with the Pacific Division. You're here with Anthony the Bull Caruso and the Lord Mayor Keith Topolsky here on Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube, Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites, of course. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Guy Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. We'll be right back. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Hornsby RSL Club, your perfect place to catch up with friends and family. With dining options ranging from modern Australian favourites in the courtyard, authentic Asian cuisine from Keku, or delicious wood-fired pizzas from Level 1, there is something for everyone to enjoy. Join us weekly for entertainment activities such as trivia, meat raffles, bingo and free live music, or grab some tickets to see one of our first-class entertainment acts in the showroom. Thinking of holding an event? Let our friendly events team guide you through every step to create the perfect event for any occasion. Visit our website at hornsbyrsl.com.au for further details. Hornsby RSL Club, proud sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountant, the Hornsby Coringai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. The ball, Anthony Caruso here with you with the Lord Mayor Keith Topolsky as we continue our preview of the NHL for season 2021-22. We are talking the Western Conference and we're going to be returning now, this time with the Pacific Division. And we're going to kick things off in alphabetical order once again, Keith. And we're going to go to the Anaheim Ducks. And, it, well, if last year wasn't bad enough, this season looks like it could get even worse. Yeah, they've lost Hayden Fleury in the expansion draft. He's a really good player, Hayden Fleury. I was really surprised that they didn't include him amongst their protected list or at least try to do a side deal with Seattle to make sure that Fleury wasn't taken. But be that as it may, I don't think they're complaining too much about the other losses. Danton Heinen 
being picked up by Pittsburgh. Wasn't really doing too much for the Ducks. Um, I wouldn't say that he was a strong option for them by any stretch. David Backus has retired. We knew that that was going to happen. And Ryan Miller's also retired. Their backup goaltender to John Gibson. So they haven't lost an awful lot. They've signed literally no one as a free agent of note. But Anaheim, they have a really good prospect pipeline. They're bringing young kids through. It's going to get a little bit ugly for them again this year. I don't think that they're going to be able to take that next step this season. I think next season is when they're really going to do it. I think this is more a consolidation year, but if I'm an Anaheim Ducks fan, I'm gearing up for a pretty tough season, but I'm not worried about the future. I think they've got a pretty good future in front of them, and this is, I think, the year for growing pains. Where do they go in terms of a strat? Where do they look like they're going in terms of a strategy? Are they going to look to try and rebuild that sort of dynamic attack that they they'd become famous for when they had their heyday run, or are we going to see a, a different Ducks outfit? I think that's going to depend on exactly which prospects end up coming through the best because they've got some really good defensive defensemen. They've got some really good offensive defensemen. They've got some really good offensive forwards. They've got some really good defensive forwards. So exactly which prospects come through um, the best, I think, will dictate exactly what their strategy is going forward. At the moment, Anaheim, they could do anything. As far as moving forward, we're just going to have to wait and see exactly who comes through the best as their prospects develop. Let's move uh, across the border now to the Calgary Flames. You've called them sixth place, and the big, big news out of them, Mark Giordano off to Seattle as part of the expansion draft. Yeah, they decided not to protect the captain, which I found really interesting. Now, granted, Mark Giordano is in the realm of 37, 38, 39 years of age, but he is coming off a Norris Trophy as the best defenseman in the league, which really did make it difficult for Calgary to try and figure out what was going to happen. So Calgary decided not to protect him. They tried to do a side deal. Seattle made it clear that it was going to involve a first and a third round pick. If you're giving up a first round pick to... to keep a 37-year-old defenseman, then I'm sorry, you're an imbecile. And that's what Calgary figured out as well. They decided, okay, we're going to cut our losses. Mark Giordano, it's going to hurt, but we're going to let him go. What I found really interesting is that they paid big money for Blake Coleman from Tampa Bay. Now, Tampa, they were able to work some salary cap magic and be able to keep quite a core together. And this was the year that the rubber hit the road and they had to let a lot of that talent go. Blake Coleman, real tough guy, real strong option. They're paying him $5 million a year for six years. That is a big overpay. That is just stupid. However, got to remember that Daryl Sutter is the coach of this team. Now, Daryl Sutter likes his team to play hard, physical, big hockey. They're not They're not renowned as skill teams, Daryl Sutter teams. They're renowned as tough physical teams. So Blake Coleman, he does fit that mold, but if they're going to sign players like Blake Coleman to $30 million contracts over six years, it makes you wonder exactly what a guy like Johnny Gaudreau is going to do to fit into this team because if there's a player who does not exude toughness, it's Johnny Gaudreau. He's small, he's fast, he's skillful. Big and tough does not come into his lexicon. He doesn't know the meaning of those words. So be interesting to see what Calgary do with their star player at the moment. Um, I, I just, I just don't look at this roster and see enough smart hockey minds to be able to put together properly what Daryl Sutter's uh, approach is. Now, Matthew Kachuk, very, very good player, very, very tough player, very niggly player, perfect for the Daryl Sutter mindset. 
But that's really all that they've got that really fit with Daryl Sutter. So I think Calgary are going to struggle this year. I think them signing Daryl Sutter as a coach, I think it would have been better as an assistant coach, but they've made him the head coach now and they have to live with that. And I think it's going to be a decision the Flames will regret. You've got mentioned here in particular Brad, their GM, Brad Treliving, on borrowed time. Take us through that. Mm-hmm. All right, so Brad Treliving, the general manager, um, has made some signings over the years. Now, the really interesting thing is that when he goes and signs a player, he doesn't necessarily leave them there for the duration of the contract. The number of the contracts that he's signed, about half of them he's ended up buying out at the Calgary Flames because they haven't worked out, which makes absolutely no sense. If you're signing a player to a contract, you're not doing that in order to buy him out two years down the track. And if Brad Treliving cannot get a really good run out of his team this year, I think he's on to his third or fourth coach. Now, in the NHL, that's unheard of to be able to get through four coaches as a GM unless you've won a cup or maybe even two cups, in which point they'll say, well, okay, you've done this. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt. My problem with that is he keeps buying out players that he shouldn't be. I think Brad Treliving, if they don't at least make the conference final this year, I think Treliving gets sacked. There's there's one of your big calls for the year. We're going to look forward to seeing what happens with that. Let's move over to the Edmonton Oilers. You've called them second place, and they had a great year last year. And if it wasn't for the fact that they got basically bashed out of the um, out of the finals. Uh, we could be sitting here and talking about the Connor McDavid dynasty taking hold at the Oilers, something they haven't been able to experience for a very long time. Yeah, as I said before in the first half, um, Winnipeg really did try and tackle them out of the game, not with any sort of you know attacking of the puck, but literally physically tackling them. That's how much holding was going on, which is why Edmonton got swept in the first round of the playoffs. If the referees called any sort of power play, if the referees even called a quarter of the penalties that they should have in that series, Edmonton probably ends up sweeping Winnipeg because Connor McDavid, just unstoppable at five on five. Imagine what he's like when he's got the man advantage. The biggest challenge they've got is trying to figure out what they're doing with their defense because Adam Larson was drafted by Seattle in the expansion draft, which meant that they lost a lot of experience off the blue line. They went out and they badly overpaid for Duncan Keith. They really badly overpaid. But having said that, Duncan Keith has won a Stanley Cup. Duncan Keith has won three Stanley Cups. Duncan Keith is also not a bad shutdown defenseman these days, given that he is 38 years of age. So he's not going to do anything that is going to be spectacular, and he's reaching pretty much the end of his career. He's only got two years left, and I would imagine that he'll retire after this. I'm surprised that they took full freight. I'm surprised that they didn't ask Chicago to swallow a bit more salary given that they gave up Caleb Jones. Uh, I don't know what they're doing signing Cody Cece. That is just an absolutely tragic signing. He was bad for Ottawa. He was bad for Toronto. He held his head just above water for Pittsburgh, and now they brought him in. I don't know what the story is there. Something that I did find interesting, though, is they signed Zach Hyman from Toronto. Now, Connor McDavid has not exactly had a whole lot of talent on his line so far. Zach Hyman is a genuine goal scorer. Zach Hyman is a genuine grinding tough player. You're right. Connor McDavid has the potential to create a dynasty on his own. What I'm looking forward to seeing is Connor McDavid playing with a competent line mate. And this, I think, is going to be really exciting. Remember that Connor McDavid last year scored 100 points. Now, In most seasons, we look at a player who scores 100 points and say, that's a really good achievement. Remembering that 100 points is normally scored in 82 games. Connor McDavid did it in 56. Connor McDavid 
scored at a rate. If he plays the full clip this year, he could be scoring 160 points. The all-time record, Wayne Gretzky, 212 points. That gives you the sort of idea of the company that Connor McDavid keeps. Connor McDavid can carry this team on his own this season, given they've also traded for Warren Fergley from Carolina, another big, strong body, really giving them a presence up front, Edmonton. They've got the skill. Now they're starting to add the size and the brawn. If they can get the defense right and their goaltending right, this is a genuine cup contender, but I got my worries in net. Now, here's the thing with Warren Fogel coming into the lineup. Does he play almost as a frontline protector for Connor McDavid? Is that he's going to be his main role? Uh, that will be a role if Connor McDavid gets picked on. He's already got Zach Hyman on his line, McDavid. So if Zach Hyman gets in there and just throws his weight around a little bit, then he'll be okay. If Zach Hyman isn't enough, then watch, as you say, for Fergley to go on that top line and then throw his weight around and almost act as McDavid's bodyguard. Because don't forget, Fergley can score as well. He's not just an enforcer. So I think it was an overpay giving up Ethan Bear, who I think is an excellent young defensive prospect. I think he's going to be a really top NHL defenseman. But sometimes you've got to make a trade that you don't want to make. You've got to overpay to get something you really, really need. Edmonton, they probably needed defense just as much, but Ethan Bear was the piece that Carolina wanted, so that's the piece Carolina got. But I think Edmonton looking really good for this season. They just need a real elite goaltender, and I think you can count them as a genuine contender. Let's move over to the LA Kings. You've got them in third place, and you've got them as one of the big improvers this year. No doubt about it. Los Angeles will be the team to take a huge step forward. They looked like they were taking a real step forward last season. They have one of the best prospect pipelines in the NHL, and those guys were just getting their feet wet in the National Hockey League last season and the season before as well. A couple of them have been been a bit injury prone. They've had some time to get themselves fit and healthy. And now we're really starting to see those benefits being delivered. And the thing is that they still have enough money in the tank if they really want to, to get into the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. We'll talk more about Jack Eichel next week with the Buffalo Sabres, but they have the ability to go out and still acquire pieces in free agency if they really want to. They've got the ability to go out and acquire Eichel with a lot of those prospects if they think that this is the right time to go. I'm not quite so sure that it is because they've got some real premium talent coming through. Gabe Velarde, you've got Quinton Byfield as well. Quinton Byfield, the idea of him playing third-line centre is just scary. But that's what you've got in Los Angeles. He could even play fourth-line centre because if Eichel comes in, he's going to play second-line centre. Philip Deneau, who's been signed from Montreal, could end up playing third-line centre. Deneau is a really, really good defensive forward. They've signed Alex Edler from Vancouver to add a little bit of depth with the blue line as well. I think they're not they're not a genuine contender, Los Angeles, but they will be the big improver without question. I don't think there's any doubt that they make the playoffs this season. Where, how far do you think they go? Are they going to be a genuine contender in, say, two to three years, the way that this lineup is building, or is it a longer-term prospect? Uh, you can certainly count them amongst the contenders in two to three years. I think four to five years will be when you're talking about them as winning winning their next cup. I think those kids are just going to need a little bit more time. As far as what they do this year, I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to get absolutely stomped on in the first round of the playoffs because they're a young team. It doesn't matter how good you are. You need that experience, that toughness, and when you get to the playoffs, you're not really ready for it unless you've experienced it 
before. Very rarely do you see a team going to the playoffs without prior playoff experience, knowing exactly what it's about. So I, I think the kids will be found short when it comes to the playoffs, but that's no that's no disgrace to be found short in the playoffs because some of the best teams we've ever seen in the NHL have gone to the playoffs at their first attempt and just been absolutely stomped on. So yeah, LA, they're not going to win it this season, but they will be the big improvers. And within a couple of years, we're going to start talking about them as the top echelon of teams again. Let's move on from a team on the up to a team that's about to hit rock bottom, the San Jose Sharks. It is just an absolute farce in San Jose at the moment. They haven't really been able to acquire anyone of real note. They brought in James Reimer as the goaltender. He's going to replace Martin Jones, who was bought out, and I can't say it was before time either. Martin Jones, he's he was saving at about 870, 880. Now, to give you an idea of that, that means that for every 100 shots he faces, he concedes 13, 12 or 13 goals. A good NHL goaltender is going to concede maybe nine at the real outside 10. A really good goaltender should be conceding eight. And he was conceding 13 per 100. Now, he he was just leaking like a sieve, Martin Jones. I can see them improving a little bit now that they can have confidence in their goaltending. But San Jose, they're just getting so old. They've got something like seven or eight players on their roster over the age of 30. And I'm not talking about 30, 31. I'm talking 34, 35, 36. These guys are getting old in a hurry. Eric Carlson's not what he was. Brent Burns isn't what he was. Vlasic isn't what he was. They're just, they're old and they don't have any kids coming through. And they can't do a rebuild because all those old guys have really big contracts. Eric Carlson is on $11 million a year for the next five years. I mean, that... There's just no way out for San Jose. They just have to trade what they can, get draft picks, go into free agency, sign free agents, trade them at the deadline, get more draft picks, and wait for these other veterans to come off the roster. It's really, really an ugly three or four years ahead for San Jose. And this is the kind of thing that can end up you know, crippling after that as well. Because although you're going to get into a rebuild phase and be able to get back up again, it's going to take so long that some of those young prospects may come in and demand trades out of there because they don't want to be part of it anymore. That's possible, particularly because you might find those guys that they're about to acquire in this draft or maybe that they have acquired in the immediate previous draft. They might be ready to go and start competing for a playoff berth and want to start winning in the playoffs, but they're not there yet. The team just isn't there yet. And you're right, it could be a little bit frustrating. And as I say, we'll get to Buffalo next week as a perfect example nah. of what can go wrong in that situation. And yeah, I know. I'm sorry, Buffalo fans. It's going to get nasty for you next week. But if you're a genuine Buffalo fan, you already know what I'm going to say. So yeah, that's going to get ugly for them. But you're right. We, we've seen that when if you go too hard on the tank, then it can have a lasting side effect. I don't think it's going to have a side effect here for San Jose because they've got so many experienced players who have had so much success. But if those guys really start to tune out or if they go on long-term injury reserve or if the attitude goes wrong, then yeah, San Jose, it's really ugly for them. And don't forget, they're not in a traditional hockey market. The Bay Area, San Francisco, San Jose is not a traditional hockey market. So if this goes real pear-shaped, we could be looking at relocation and just departing California. So San Jose, if things really go pear-shaped, it could turn into an existential crisis for them. Well, let's go to a team that has now entered the competition, Keith. 
We know what they look like. It is time to release the Kraken. Release the Kraken, go to the crack house, all those sort of jokes, and we'll leave those ones alone. But I, I found it really interesting. They did not do one side deal in the expansion draft because some of the players you've looked at, and they're, they're just terrible players, and they got traded back to their teams almost uh, uh, al- almost immediately. Um, Gavin Bayreuther from Columbus. i got to be perfectly honest. I'd never heard of Gavin Bayreuther, which showed you exactly how far down the charts Seattle were going to try and get something done. They could not get one side deal done, and this was because apparently Ron Francis went out, the general manager, and said, any player you want us to avoid – We are prepared to do that for the cost of a first and a third round pick. Now, he wasn't saying this for a particular type of player. He said any player. So if you wanted him to avoid your depth guy, it was going to cost you a first and a third. If you wanted him to avoid your 38-year-old captain, a first and a third. If you wanted him to avoid your premium prospect, it was a first and a third. That's lazy. And they did not – it is. It's really lazy because they could have done all sorts of stuff. All Ron Francis had to do was say, okay, is there anybody you don't want me to take? Let's try and work something out. But instead, he locked himself in really early on and he said, I am taking who I want and it's going to cost you a first for me not to do it. And when he said that, he locked himself into a corner because if he was weak on that, then he could allow himself to be taken taken advantage of at future trade deadlines. All he had to say was, okay, we're going to wait and see what teams want to do and we're prepared to talk. And that's what Vegas did. Having said that, there are a lot of GMs that got scared off by how good the job was that George McPhee did for Vegas in doing all those side deals and prying players out of places and picking players off that hadn't really had opportunities yet. So there was a lot of fear that, okay, this might happen again with Seattle. You know what? We're just going to take the risk and say, okay, you do what you want. You take who you want and that's it. They got some real good players. Chris Dreidke, he, he was obviously leaving Florida. There was absolutely no doubt about that. They were always going to get someone good from Tampa. They did very well with Yanni Gord. I thought he was a good pickup. New York Islanders, Jordan Eberle, he is a great pickup for them. Only problem is Yanni Gord and Jordan Eberle are really the only genuine scoring forwards. They've got quite a few good defensemen. They've got Alexiak from Dallas, Dunn from St. Louis, Hayden Fleury from Anaheim, Giordano from Calgary, Larson from Edmonton. That, that's a pretty good top six. That's a very good top six. That's playoff worthy, and I do think they make the playoffs. My question is, what are they going to do when they get there? Because they can't score goals. There's no goal scoring on this team. So they're going to have to go out and find some goal scoring talent on the open market. I'm surprised that they took Vitek Vanacek from Washington and traded him straight back. I thought he was a real good get for them, and to send him straight back really surprised me. But obviously, they've got big plans for Joey Decord, who they took from Ottawa, and I'm still crying in my sleep about losing Joey Decord. Um, He's a real good goaltending prospect. But Seattle, I think they make the playoffs, which, one, is not really surprising because Vegas made the playoffs in their first season, and two... When you look at the strength overall of the Pacific Division, it shouldn't it shouldn't surprise that an expansion team should be in the running to make the playoffs in their first season. I don't think they get out of the first round, Seattle, but they've got the they've got the building blocks for a really good team in the next three or four years. Well, let's move on to the Vancouver Canucks. You've called them in fifth place. A couple of very interesting trades here, and I want to bring up in particular them picking up Oliver Ekman Larson from Arizona. 
and losing Antoine Roussel to Arizona. Yeah, Roussel, Ericsson, Beagle, that was part of that cap dump that I spoke about uh, in the first half of the show. Ekman Larson, he's passed his best. Uh, he, he was the one real jewel in the crown in Arizona, and it took everybody so long to cotton on to the fact that he was that good that they kept talking him up, even after he was good. So he's been on the downward trend for a while now. They did really well to get Connor Garland. I thought that was a really good pickup. I like the fact that they've got Yaroslav Halak as the backup goalie to Thatcher Demko. I think that's a real good goaltending tandem. But... They lost Nate Schmidt off defense. Now, I thought they could have got a little bit more for him from Winnipeg, which is a little bit surprising. This team is not built to win long-term. This team is built now around Oliver Ekman Larson and his $8.25 million contract that still has another five or six years to run, which is an absolute albatross of a contract. They're, They're locked in here now, Vancouver. Ekman Larson, he's there for the long term. He's not going anywhere. And Jim Benning, that is a real problem for him as GM because he's not going to be able to move him. That's going to reduce their salary cap room. That could explain why Elias Pedersen hasn't re-signed yet because they don't have the salary cap room. I would have been more interested in going to Arizona and saying, what can you, what do you want to take these three dead contracts off my hands in Beagle, Erickson, Roussel? And I would have said, no, I don't want Ekman Larson coming back. Or if I do take him back, you have to eat some salary. But Arizona, they didn't eat a cent of the Ekman-Larsen deal. And so Vancouver, I don't see them making the playoffs this season. I think they just miss out. And I think this is where the rebuild that they've been touting for a while could go sour. And you just wonder, with this kind of pickup as well, how do you rebuild a team in in this regards? Because this should have been, by all intents and purposes, it's like they're doing this as almost as a last stand play. But you know, it could end up like Custer's last stand where the entire team gets annihilated straight after. That's the problem when you've got such a, such a, I wouldn't quite say mediocre, but not quite above average player. He's a good player, Ekman Larson, bordering on very good, but he's not $8.25 million a year good. If you're giving Ekman Larson fair value in free agency right now, it's somewhere around that 5 to $6 million mark, such is the way he's gone downhill. Now, that's a lot of salary to be carrying for a guy who right now is not worth it. And as he gets older and older, he's going to be less and less worth that contract. It could be that by the time you get to the last year of the deal, he may not be worth taking on for another team, even if Vancouver eats 50% of the deal. That's how bad things are getting. So Jim Benning, I think you're right. I think this is his last stand. And I don't think it's too much longer until he gets shown the door and Ekman Larson becomes somebody else's problem. Let's move on to the last team of the of the night here. It's, it is the Vegas Golden Knights. You've called them in first place. We mentioned a couple of the trades already that have that have impacted them. Mark Andre Fleury, obviously off to Chicago, uh, being the big one. The the virtual swap between Nolan Patrick and Cody Glass, but the Golden Knights, geez, they look strong again this year. Yeah, the only thing that surprised me about the Golden Knights was that they didn't find a way to swing a deal for Jack Eichel. Now, Jack Eichel, he's featured a lot, and he'll feature again prominently next week. He's the first-line centre that Vegas needs. They don't have that first-line centre to be able to drive play down the middle. They've offloaded Marc-Andre Fleury as a cap dump. They ended up bringing Laurent Brossois uh, from Winnipeg as the backup. He's only going to cost them a million and change, maybe two million. So that was a really good effort to do that. Evgeny Dadanov, I think he's going to offer them a new angle. He didn't fit in in Ottawa with 
with their power play. Uh, giving up Nick Holden and a pick for him. Uh, Nick Holden was a depth defenseman. I think that was a really good bit of business from Vegas, but they really need that that centre to really drive play down the middle. I just wonder if Calgary end up dropping out of the race early on in the season in the Pacific Division, whether Vegas goes to Calgary and starts asking questions about Sean Monaghan. Because while he's not an elite first-line centre, he can fill that real high-end centre role. He might be a poor man's first-line centre, but he can still fill the role of a playmaking first-line centre, Sean Monaghan. So I'm just wondering whether they do that. They might even go to San Jose again. They're shopping in the division, which can get dangerous, and ask questions about Thomas Hurdle, although he's definitely not a first-line centre, but he's an option for them. So there's centre options out there for Vegas, and I think they'll have to make an acquisition of one of those. But at the moment, they've done really well. Yep, Nolan Patrick for Cody Glass, direct swap. They know what they're getting with Nolan Patrick, and they're taking a punt that in a new setup, Nolan Patrick will be able to thrive. I don't think he will because I was underwhelmed by Nolan Patrick when he was in his draft year, when he went first overall. I was surprised that he did go first. So I don't know whether Nolan Patrick is really the long-term option there either, but they might be taking a punt and thinking, you know what, he might be a first-line centre down the track. We'll just wait and see. But Vegas, they, they are the standout candidate in the Pacific Division. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And unless they run into some real injury problems, I think they're going to be right up there again this season. Are they cup contenders? They are a genuine cup contender. I think I would feel much more comfortable about making them a genuine contender. Again, if they had that genuine first-line centre, they need that first-line centre to be able to drive play in the playoffs. They can stop goals at a reasonable clip. They, they don't leak like a sieve in the playoffs, but they can't score in the playoffs. And that's the problem. They need to learn to be able to score in the playoffs. They need a guy who can drive scoring in the playoffs. And if they don't have that kind of a player, then they're going to be found struggling and wanting again. Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, great players. But if they get shut down, they need another scoring option. And at the moment, they don't have it. Well, there you are, ladies and gentlemen. In the Pacific Division, we are tipping the Vegas Golden Knights, the Edmonton Oilers, the Los Angeles Kings, and the Seattle Kraken to make it off into the playoffs. Should be a fascinating season all round. And one to watch out for, as you mentioned, Keith, the LA Kings potentially the big improvers this year. I think they'll be the big improvers right across the league. I think they're the ones with the biggest step to take this year, and I think they will because they're also in one of the weaker divisions, and I think that's what will stand them in really good stead to be able to take that step forward. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is full-time here on Splinters. I want to thank the Lord Mayor for joining us. You'll be back with us next week to talk about the conference that really matters, the Eastern Conference. Yes, I know that we leave the rest for the West and then we get to the beasts of the East and everybody knows that the Eastern Conference is more important than the Western Conference and everybody knows that the Atlantic Division is more important than the Metro Division as well. This, this not that we're biased true. in any way, shape or form. Not no, that we're biased. No, absolutely not. Who who couldn't tell that there's two guys here who just happen to support Canada over the USA? Let's face it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Ladies and gentlemen, that is full-time here on Splinters the Bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. On behalf of the Lord Mayor, Keith Toposky, I'm the Bull Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night.
www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. On behalf of the Lord Mayor, Keith Toposky, I'm the Bull Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. Anthony LeBull Caruso back with you for another edition and just when you thought that we were going to start heating things up for the summer of sport, we're going to go switch right back and play the game that looks absolutely amazing in the whiteness of snow. Yes, the NHL is back for another season. And it's a very quick turnaround, obviously, due to the restrictions that were put on place due to COVID. And we cannot wait for this year's edition of the season. I can't do this alone. And so this week and for the next two weeks, we're going to be joined by our chief ice hockey analyst, the Lord Mayor maketh his return, Keith Topolsky. Good evening to you. Good evening, Anthony. Good evening to everyone across the Triple H Global Network. And yeah, it has, has been a short turnaround because they needed to push the playoffs back and back into July. And then we had the draft at the end of July. But that hasn't meant that there's been any less controversy. Uh, absolutely not. And the... Transfers obviously flying through thick and fast. The restructure has occurred here. We're going to get all through all of that, but one can only imagine what it's going to be like this year, the first year since this COVID um, pandemic and the competition going back to normal somewhat. Yes, the the realignment of the divisions is the big one because obviously they had to have an all-Canadian division because of border restrictions and not allowing people in from the US. So that is gone now. We're back to the traditional divisions. Well, as traditional as you can be, given they're only about 10 years old. Um, and the salary cap as well, it's going to be a flat cap for a few years yet. So no increase to the salary cap. And that's meant that quite a few teams have run into one or two financial problems. And of course, how can we miss the fact that we now have a 32nd team in the NHL, the Seattle Kraken. I'm looking forward to seeing all the crackheads at the crack house, which is, I'm sure, what they're going to call all the Kraken fans. But uh, it's, it's already it's already started on social media. I'm not saying anything out of place. So this is going to be quite the season ahead. Oh, this is, this is going to be spicy in so many ways. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the puck is about to drop. Let's get straight into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. Let's get straight into it now and we're going to start off with the we're going to start off with a couple of the changes that have occurred for this season that's going to be coming up and as we mentioned of course the expansion the Seattle Kraken coming into the competition the realignment has occurred 
And now the first thing we need to mention with this is that with Seattle coming in, they've had to rejig a couple of the teams within the Western Conference. Yeah, the only team really impacted here is the Arizona Coyotes, and they moved from the Pacific Division into the Central Division because the Central only had seven teams, and you had eight teams in the Pacific, and with Seattle coming in, and they're obviously on the Pacific Ocean, so you don't get much more Pacific than that. That meant that someone had to make way uh, in the Pacific Division, heading over to the Central Division, and obviously Arizona being in the desert, it made a lot more sense than trying to move out one of the Alberta teams, uh, which was the only other real option. So Arizona's off to the central, and now we've got eight teams in each of the four divisions. And so far with the coaching changes this year, only the one that's occurred for the Western um for the Western Conference, and it does impact the Arizona Coyotes, who are actually the first cab off the rank for the Central Division. Yeah, they've had a coaching change, and that was to be expected, but uh, the the Buffalo Sabres also had a coaching change, but that was mid-season, so we'll get to them next week. But, yeah, there has been a coaching change. Andre Torini uh, coming in from the Ottawa 67s of the Ontario Hockey League, uh, taking over from uh, Rick Tockett, who wasn't able to get Arizona out of the basement. And Arizona's had a lot of turnover because they've gone straight into uh, the rebuild mode. They, they had more than a few dramas. They drafted Mitchell Miller uh, last season, who uh, was found guilty of doing some rather unsavory things uh, to a black classmate, disabled classmate as well. So his rights were announced by the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, they had an expose done by the athletic website. And if you are looking for some really good hockey content, I would definitely suggest the athletic as a subscription. Um, they did an expose into the workplace culture to suggest that it was toxic, would probably be kind to the Arizona Coyotes. They were found to have illegally tested prospects. Uh, there was no NHL draft combine, uh, similar to what the AFL do with their draft picks. Uh, so the Arizona Coyotes got stripped of draft picks uh, for that as well. Um, and now it turns out that they're going to be kicked out of their arena at the end of the season. So things go from bad to worse for the Arizona Coyotes. They're in the middle of a rebuild as well. I must <clears throat> pay tribute to them, though. Oliver ekman Larson, who was, I, I don't think there's any doubt, their number one defenseman, uh, but he also had an albatross of a contract. He's got six years left at almost $9 million a year. Nobody wanted to take that on, except apparently the Vancouver Canucks. So they threw in a very, very promising young player in Connor Garland, who was also getting a lot of interest from around the league. And they took back $12 million of real bad salary in Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, and Jay Beagle. Somehow, they have come out of this ahead because even though they're spending more money, they're going to be out from that at the end of this year. So they're in a really good spot to build for the future. They have lost Christian Dvorak um, to the Montreal Canadiens as part of an offer sheet debacle that we're going to discuss next week. But that they've had a decent recovery, Arizona, from a really nasty start, but this is going to get real ugly in a real hurry, and I don't see them finishing anywhere except bottom of the of the Pacific of the uh, Central Division this year. But this could be the signs of a genuine tank job that's going to be happening here. They're going to blow this season up, reshape for next year, and we, as you mentioned, with those three Vancouver players coming over, their contracts run out. And they can basically start afresh after that. Well, it's not so much starting afresh after that, but they'll be in a really good position with $12 million off the books to be able to go to some of those other teams that have got some real bad contracts and say, you know what? 
that's a real bad contract. We're happy to take that off you, but what are you prepared to give us as the sweetener? And this is what I love about the NHL system with the trading of players, and I really wish that the NRL would look to something similar because NHL clubs, it's quite often they'll go to clubs that have bad contracts and are up against the salary cap, and they'll say, look, you don't want this guy. We're happy to take him off you, but what are you prepared to give us as the sweetener, whether it's a young player that is on the way up or whether it's a draft pick or several picks. And there have been a few of those, uh, what they call cap dumps this offseason. So Arizona's in a really good place to do that. But yeah, it is a race to the bottom because they've lost Anti Ranta. They've lost Darcy Kemper, two very good goalies. Who have they added? Well, they've added Carter Hutton, who's 32 and been a career backup, and nobody else. So this is going to get real ugly for the Arizona Coyotes this year, given some of the players that they've added. Although I did like the fact that they added Connor Timmons from Colorado on the blue line as a defenseman. He's going to be a good player in the future. But other than that, it looks really ugly this year. Let's move over to the Chicago Blackhawks. You've called them in sixth place. And mm-hmm. what a, a mixed off season. You know, you've, you've called out Duncan Keith coming out in exchange for a youngster. But wow, Marc-Andre Fleury being picked up by the Blackhawks. I know he's in the twilight of his career, but you can't buy experience like that. You can't, but the question is how much time does Fleury have left? Now, what really marked or piqued my interest was Duncan Keith, they moved him to the Edmonton Oilers. They managed to get all of his salary off the books, which is a very important thing when you're moving older players. They even managed to bring back a young prospect in Caleb Jones. Now, he's not a real high-end prospect, but he might be able to play uh, at a pinch on the second defensive pair. He's probably going to pan out as a third defensive third-pair defenseman. They did really well in that trade, Chicago. That was masterful. Then they went to Columbus and got his brother, Seth Jones. Now, Seth Jones is a good defenseman, but he's not quite at that really elite stage yet. And they paid out big, big money, eight years, and I think $9.25 million is the salary cap hit. Now, that's real top-end money for a defenseman, and that's a big overpay. Not only that, but they gave up a first and a second and a real good prospect in Adam Boquist. Now, he doesn't he doesn't project to pan out as well as Seth Jones does, but when he's throwing a first and a second, that's a wild overpay <laughs> from Chicago. So, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what they were thinking. You're right, Marc-Andre Fleury comes in. Um, after Vegas, this is one of the cap dump moves. Vegas took back a, a nothing player and then proceeded to terminate his contract because they weren't interested in him. So Vegas got literally nothing for the face of their franchise. It was simply a cap dump. So getting back to Chicago for a moment, they've got problems of their own at the moment because GM Stan Bowman is under investigation because a former assistant coach is accused of of sexual assault against one of the players on the roster um, back around 2011. Yeah, you can look it up online. There is all sorts of um, uh, all sorts of writing on this. This is going to get really difficult for the Chicago Blackhawks. The NHL is going to conduct their own investigation, I would imagine, because the Blackhawks investigation doesn't look to have gone anywhere. I think this is a bad year. I think Chicago is going to finish in sixth. I think this is going to be a down year. They're trying to rebuild, but I think off the ice is going to be the big distraction for them this year. Wow, that is going to get ugly very quickly for them. Let's move on to the next team, the Colorado Avalanche. And it has to be said that the hat rack is going to be very happy with what you've said. You've called them first 
into the playoffs. Yeah, they will top the division. I've got no doubt about that because they are a genuine cup contender. Uh, Ryan Graves, who's a very good defenseman for them, he got moved to the New Jersey Devils simply because of problems with the expansion draft. So what happened when Seattle was admitted to the league was that they had to conduct an expansion draft. So Seattle simply wasn't picking off the worst of the free agency list. So teams could protect only one goalie and either eight skaters or three defensemen and seven forwards. Now, by protecting eight skaters, obviously that means you can protect more defensemen. Um, and that meant that Ryan Graves got moved. But at the same time, uh, Philip Grubauer, the Colorado goaltender, got snapped up by Seattle. And that meant that they had to replace him. Darcy Kemper has come in from Arizona. That's where Connor Timmons went, as I mentioned a few moments ago. They have really weakened in goal, Colorado. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the market to try and upgrade a little bit more on the back of that during the season. They have lost a fair bit of talent, but if you took Brandon Saad out of the equation, who was sort of a second, third liner for them, he wasn't really in the core. They haven't lost an awful lot. They've done really well to get Gabriel Landeskog, their captain, re-signed. Only $7 million. He probably could have got eight to eight and a half if he went to the open market. To get him back under contract for seven is really good business, given that Nathan McKinnon, who I think is the third best centre in the league at the moment, shortly to become the second best because Sidney Crosby's on the way out, he's going to be looking at about $10 million a year. He's on six and a half at the moment. So there's going to be a fair upgrade there. Colorado, I think they'll do really, really well this season. Whether it's enough to get them all the way is a question mark. And I've been umming and ahhing basically every day my opinion on Colorado at the end of the season changes. Basically, all because of their goaltending. Their forwards, their defense looks very good. Their goaltending, oh, well, let me let me ponder that. But Colorado definitely topping the division. It just seems like they're going to have a bit of an issue to try and work out who's going to take on the, the reins full-time. Because, you know, even though I may be a, a, a goalkeeper in football, I do know that the one thing you never want to have to do is change goalkeepers or goaltenders regularly throughout the season. If you can settle on one, it does help your defense quite a bit. If they can't settle on an option, then they're going to actually find that that's going to impact the defensive line and they're not going to be as strong as what some people will actually think. Well, it's a slight, you are right to an extent there. It's a slightly different relationship with goaltender to defense as it is goalkeeper to defense. Goalkeepers and defense, they really have to have a close relationship in soccer or football, as it were. When it comes to hockey, the goaltender needs to know how the defense plays so they can adjust their game accordingly. But if the goalie really stinks, then the defense will start to tighten up and they'll play with a little less confidence and freedom. So that is something to watch there, absolutely. But I think Darcy Kemper, he's got the number one job at the moment. And if he can play to a competent level, then he'll get more comfortable as the season goes by. But I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado is in the market for another goalie. Let's move on to the Dallas Stars. You've called them for fifth place. And they were a little bit unusual last year because they've been known as a team that loved to score goals but tended to leak like a sieve. Last year, it was a complete reversal. Have they struck that balance or are they going to keep flicking between one side and the other? 
Well, I've looked at exactly what they've done here with their player movements. They brought Braden Holtby in as another option. So he's a goaltender. Now, Braden Holtby's in there because Ben Bishop's health is always a concern. They've got Jake Ottinger. They've got Anton Kadobin there as well. So their goaltending is very, very well served. They've got three um, premium NHL goalies, I wouldn't say elite goalies, uh, who have certainly proven themselves in the past with Jake Ottinger, who is basically looking for an opportunity at the moment. My question is exactly who's going to take the reins there if Ben Bishop's not fit, and how will Ben Bishop go for fitness? That will determine Dallas's performance. I think Ben Bishop is going to struggle for fitness. They haven't really done a whole lot as far as um, on-ice talent go. They have brought in uh, Ryan Suter, who was bought out by Minnesota, which we'll discuss in a moment. Um, they've re- they've done that to replace Jamie Alexiak, who was taken in the expansion draft by Seattle, who was a very, very big unit. He's about 6'5", 6'6", just over 100 kilos, so he's a big unit. Ryan Suter's not going to replace everything he does, but he's not a bad addition. However, yeah, I'm just not sold on Dallas because they had that miracle run during the pandemic season where the playoff format was just thrown out the window and completely rejigged and went from scratch. I think they just got hot for a few weeks there. I don't think that's really the Dallas Stars. I think what we saw last year, even though the the start of their season was completely messed up by COVID, I think what we saw last year is more akin to the real Dallas Stars. I don't think they're a genuine contender, and I think that's going to shine through. Are they a chance to make it through the wildcard playoffs, or do you think that's a bridge too far for them? It depends on what happens in the Pacific, but I think the Pacific is going to be a lot stronger, which we'll get to in the second half of the show. Um, If the Pacific comes in weaker than expected, then yes, they're a chance, but I don't think they're going to make it through as a seed in the Central. If they are going to make it, they're going to have to go the wildcard route. Let's move on to the Minnesota Wild. Uh, You've called them second in the in the division, they're looking quite strong in that regards. In terms of players that they've lost, Marcus Johansson is the player that they've lost to Seattle in that expansion draft. Uh, minimal turnover, but you you've said they they you know a team that doesn't change much can have a benefit because it's another year together and another year of experience altogether. It is, but this is going to be the year that Minnesota starts to change because not only did they buy out Ryan Suter, who's gone to Dallas, but they also bought out Zach Parisi. Now, back in 2012, I think it was, they signed matching contracts, both worth $98 million over 13 years. Minnesota's bought those guys out and they had back diving contracts. Now, what that means is that the money was front-loaded and so the buyout to the salary cap is very, very high. They're not saving much on it in a few years. They're saving money now, but I think in about three, maybe four years, they're basically saving no money. So they're about to go into a real death spiral. So I think at the moment, um, they're, they're looking to really try and tee something up that is really big. Dmitry Kulikov's come in. Alex Goligoski has come in. John Merrill has come in. They're all defensemen. Jordy Ben has come in from Winnipeg. You can see what they're trying to do by shoring up what they're losing with Ryan Suter on that back end. So they obviously have confidence to score goals. They just don't have confidence in stopping them. This should be able to 
shore them up. Be really interesting to see what happens with Kirill Kaprizov. He won the Calder Trophy for the Rookie of the Year last year. Really premium young talent, but he's still kicking around the idea of going back to Russia. So there's no guarantee that he'll play this year. And I think it all comes down to Kaprizov. If he plays, then Minnesota, very comfortable looking at them for that second spot, which is a bit of a change for them because they're normally stuck in that mushy middle. If he doesn't come back, then that brings Minnesota right back to the pack. We then move on to the Nashville Predators. You've called them seventh place. A lot of activity around their trades. And in particular, I note the work that the the trades have been doing with Philly and with Vegas. Yeah, it was almost a three-way trade. Uh, it wasn't really a three-way trade because you didn't have pieces going on condition. Other pieces went different places. So it did come down to two separate transactions. Ryan Ellis, really strong defenseman for Nashville. Now with Philadelphia, they managed to get Philip Myers and Nolan Patrick. Um, As a result, they immediately flipped Nolan Patrick to the Vegas Golden Knights for Cody Glass. Cody Glass, very young, up-and-coming player. Nolan Patrick was drafted first overall only a couple of years ago. Philadelphia has given up on him. They're happy to take a look at some other options there. So Nolan Patrick now off with Vegas, and in exchange, Cody Glass has gone to Nashville. Uh, Philip Myers also gone, uh, sorry, coming in, I should say, from Philadelphia on the blue line. Um, They've lost Pekka Rinne. He's decided to retire, long-term goaltender. Very, very good player. David Reek has come in, formerly of Calgary via Toronto. Uh, so he'll play back up to UC Saros, who is going to have to step up as the starting goaltender this season. The problem for Nashville is they've got two real big contracts that they cannot move in Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. Both centres, both borderline first-line centres, both making $8 million, both under contract for at least the next five years. I think Ryan Johansson has five years left on his deal. So... Trying to move those guys who have been severely underperforming is going to be a problem. I think this is the year that Nashville really starts to have a look at a rebuild. But if Duchesne and Johansson start performing, they could easily go close to topping the division. So really anything between second and last, anything around there would not surprise me at all. And how do they get rid of Duchesne in particular? Because he, his his form has been really inconsistent. I mean, we've seen what Nashville were like when they, for example, when they had P.K. Subban sort of around the prime of his career playing absolutely brilliantly. He carried them to heights they would never dream of. Duchesne has got the ability to do the same, but he just seems to be as mercurial as P.K. Subban was. Uh, I wouldn't quite go so far as to say as mercurial, but certainly as inconsistent because P.K. Subban's ceiling, I think, is a lot higher um, than what Matt Duchesne's is. So I I don't know whether I'd go that far, but certainly I would suggest that Matt Duchesne um, is going to be a problem for them. And if they can't figure out what they're doing there, then I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Let's move on to the St. Louis Blues, the perennial playoff qualifiers knockout in the first round. That's all they ever seem to do every year, just rinse and repeat. Well, they did win the Cup a couple of years back. Uh, They've made some interesting acquisitions because Mike Hoffman has gone off to Montreal. Uh, They've lost quite a bit off the off the blue line. Carl Gunnison's retired. Vince Dunn was picked up by Seattle. Alex Steen hasn't been offered a new contract, but Carly Rosen coming in from Toronto, I think, is underdoing it. But they did really well to get Pavel Buchnevich from the New York Rangers. I think that's a really good get for them. And if that's exactly what they can do uh, their forwards, 
then I think they might be able to stack up the blue line pretty nicely. So we'll wait and see exactly what happens there, but I wouldn't discount St. Louis by any stretch. I do think they're going to the playoffs, but I certainly wouldn't count them as a genuine cup contender at this point. Now, the interesting thing with them as well is they're one of the few teams that have actually had two players traded off to the St. Louis Blues in Jaden Schwartz on the forward line and Vince Dunn on the on the defensive line. You, you mentioned before that every team is allowed to protect one, one goalkeeper, and I guess one one skater, but the 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 fact that they've had two get drafted off like that, uh, what happens with that with that expansion draft? If they get if they get drafted off, do, does that mean then that any any impact on the salary cap then goes with them as well? No, Jaden Schwartz was coming off contract and St. Louis was trying to get him back under contract. So Jaden Schwartz was a free agent signing for Seattle. Vince Dunn was the one that got drafted and they decided that, well, they've already done some asking around and obviously Seattle has found that, well, it looks as though Jaden Schwartz not going to be affordable for St. Louis. So a guy who's already under contract will take Vince Dunn and then we'll wait until free agency and take our chances. And they did well to get Jaden Schwartz, who is a good pickup for them. Let's move on to the last team in the segment. It is the Winnipeg Jets. No, we are not going on our way back to Winnipeg, Keith. Uh, you've called them fourth place to, to just sneak in, uh, but a weak blue line. You know, Have they made improvements to that? Absolutely, they have. They, they've got a really good forward core. Connor Hellebuck is in the discussion as the best goaltender in the NHL at the moment. They had real problems with their defence, which was unusual because Winnipeg, they thought, okay, we're good, we're good, we've got plenty of defence. And then all of a sudden, one guy retired, one guy got traded, one guy got unhappy, one guy didn't re-sign, and all of a sudden, the backside fell out of the defence. Now they've traded for Nate Schmidt from Vancouver. They brought in Brendan Dillon from Washington, Basically, what they needed to do, they went out and did. They were very smart about it. They haven't exactly lost a whole lot, mainly depth pieces. I suppose Laurent Brossois, it was their backup goalie. He's gone to Las Vegas, which is really – he's really the biggest loss that they've had is the backup goalie. And when you're talking about your backup goaltender as your biggest loss, I think that's a really good offseason. And Kevin Cheveldayoff can be very, very happy with that. If Pierre-Luc Dubois, who was acquired from Columbus last season in a blockbuster trade for Patrick Laine – if Dubois can settle down and really start being the playmaker that everyone knows he can be, then th- this could do this Winnipeg team could do anything. I'm tentatively going fourth place because I'm just wondering whether that's enough change that they've made to the blue line. But time will tell. They've got a very aggressive defensive line as well. And one thing that was noted for them last season, and it's going to be a, a point of conjecture, is whether they can maintain some level of discipline. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were one of the most penalised defensive lineups in the competition last year. Uh, that's quite possible. I haven't exactly checked the statistics on that, but I know that Winnipeg was right up there. Maybe that's part of what allowed Winnipeg to get away with what they did in the playoffs with Connor McDavid, because in the playoffs last year, they were basically tackling Connor McDavid. They were playing a game of rugby or rugby league against him. That That's how much holding and grabbing they were doing, and they were being allowed to get away with it, which really frustrated Edmonton. I don't think they're going to be able to do that again this year. So we'll just wait and see because if Winnipeg spend too much time in the penalty box, then, yeah, they're going to find themselves in a bit of trouble. So there we are for the Central Division. You've called for your playoff qualifications, the Colorado Avalanche, 
the Minnesota Wild, the St. Louis Blues, and the Winnipeg Jets, and you've got your you've got your Ruffy potentially being Chicago, either one of Chicago or Nashville. Uh, I'd say Chicago or Dallas would be the Ruffy, more yeah. so than Nashville. But Nashville's in there with a chance as well. It wouldn't surprise me if any one of those three teams made the playoffs or finished in seventh. So I think you've got your top team in Colorado, then you've got your next three. And, excuse me, that features, as you say, St. Louis. It features Winnipeg. It features Minnesota. You've got your top team. You've got your next three. Then you've got your next three. And then you've got Arizona on the bottom. So Colorado at the top, Arizona on the bottom. And then whoever finishes two, three, four, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Winnipeg. And then you've got uh, Nashville, Dallas, and Chicago filling out uh, that five, six, and seven. Any any bold predictions out of the blue for uh, for this one here? Any outlandish prediction for this conference? And you've got to go crazy for it. Uh, as far as a bold prediction, I don't think there is anything bold to be predicted uh, in the Central Division. I do think, however, that um, Colorado, I'm going to predict them. If they get through the first round, they make it to the final. Okay, there you are. They go to the Stanley Cup final itself. There you are, Colorado Avalanche. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll have part two of the Western Conference preview. We will be with the Pacific Division. You're here with Anthony the Bull Caruso and the Lord Mayor Keith Topolsky here on Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube, Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites, of course, we do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Guy Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. We'll be right back. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Hornsby RSL Club, your perfect place to catch up with friends and family. With dining options ranging from modern Australian favourites in the courtyard, authentic Asian cuisine from Keku, or delicious wood-fired pizzas from Level 1, there is something for everyone to enjoy. Join us weekly for entertainment activities such as trivia, meat raffles, bingo and free live music, or grab some tickets to see one of our first-class entertainment acts in the showroom. Thinking of holding an event? Let our friendly events team guide you through every step to create the perfect event for any occasion. Visit our website at hornsbyrsl.com.au for further details. Hornsby RSL Club, proud sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountant, the Hornsby Coringai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. The Bull, Anthony Caruso here with you with the Lord Mayor, Keith Topolsky, as we continue our preview of the NHL for season 2021-22. We are talking the Western Conference and we're going to be returning now, this time with the Pacific Division. 
And we're going to kick things off in alphabetical order once again, Keith. And we're going to go to the Anaheim Ducks. And, it, well, if last year wasn't bad enough, this season looks like it could get even worse. Yeah, they've lost Hayden Fleury in the expansion draft. He's a really good player, Hayden Fleury. I was really surprised that they didn't include him amongst their protected list or at least try to do a side deal with Seattle to make sure that Fleury wasn't taken. But be that as it may, I don't think they're complaining too much about the other losses. Danton Heinen being picked up by Pittsburgh wasn't really doing too much for the Ducks. Um, I wouldn't say that he was a strong option for them by any stretch. David Backus is retired. We knew that that was going to happen. And Ryan Miller's also retired, their backup goaltender, to John Gibson. So they haven't lost an awful lot. They've signed literally no one as a free agent of note. But Anaheim, they have a really good prospect pipeline. They're bringing young kids through. It's going to get a little bit ugly for them again this year. I don't think that they're going to be able to take that next step this season. I think next season is when they're really going to do it. I think this is more a consolidation year, but if I'm an Anaheim Ducks fan, I'm gearing up for a pretty tough season, but I'm not worried about the future. I think they've got a pretty good future in front of them, and this is, I think, the year for growing pains. Where do they go in terms of a strat? Where do they look like they're going in terms of a strategy? Are they going to look to try and rebuild that sort of dynamic attack that they they'd become famous for when they had their heyday run, or are we going to see a, a different Ducks outfit? I think that's going to depend on exactly which prospects end up coming through the best because they've got some really good defensive defensemen. They've got some really good offensive defensemen. They've got some really good offensive forwards. They've got some really good defensive forwards. So exactly which prospects come through um, the best, I think, will dictate exactly what their strategy is going forward. At the moment, Anaheim, they could do anything. As far as moving forward, we're just going to have to wait and see exactly who comes through the best as their prospects develop. Let's move uh, across the border now to the Calgary Flames. You've called them sixth place, and the big, big news out of them, Mark Giordano off to Seattle as part of the expansion draft. Yeah, they decided not to protect the captain, which I found really interesting. Now, granted, Mark Giordano is in the realm of 37, 38, 39 years of age, but he is coming off a Norris Trophy as the best defenseman in the league, which really did make it difficult for Calgary to try and figure out what was going to happen. So Calgary decided not to protect him. They tried to do a side deal. Seattle made it clear that it was going to involve a first and a third round pick. If you're giving up a first round pick to de- to keep a 37-year-old defenseman, then I'm sorry, you're an imbecile. And that's what Calgary figured out as well. They decided, okay, we're going to cut our losses. Mark Giordano, it's going to hurt, but we're going to let him go. What I found really interesting is that they paid big money for Blake Coleman from Tampa Bay. Now, Tampa, they were able to work some salary cap magic and be able to keep quite a core together. And this was the year that the rubber hit the road and they had to let a lot of that talent go. Blake Coleman, real tough guy, real strong option. They're paying him $5 million a year for six years. That is a big overpay. That is just stupid. However, got to remember that Daryl Sutter is the coach of this team. Now, Daryl Sutter likes his team to play hard, physical, big hockey. They're not They're not renowned as skill teams, Daryl Sutter teams. They're renowned as tough physical teams. So Blake Coleman, he does fit that mold, but if they're going to sign players like Blake Coleman to $30 million contracts over six years, it makes you wonder exactly what a guy like Johnny Gaudreau is going to do to fit into this team because if there's a player who does not exude toughness, it's Johnny Gaudreau. He's small, he's fast, 
He's skillful. Big and tough does not come into his lexicon. He doesn't know the meaning of those words. So be interesting to see what Calgary do with their star player at the moment. Um, I, I just I just don't look at this roster and see enough smart hockey minds to be able to put together properly what Daryl Sutter's uh, approach is. Now, Matthew Kachuk, very, very good player, very, very tough player, very niggly player, perfect for the Daryl Sutter mindset. But that's really all that they've got that really fit with Daryl Sutter. So I think Calgary are going to struggle this year. I think them signing Daryl Sutter as a coach, I think it would have been better as an assistant coach, but they've made him the head coach now and they have to live with that. And I think it's going to be a decision the Flames will regret. You've got mentioned here in particular Brad, their GM, Brad Treliving, on borrowed time. Take us through that. Mm-hmm. All right. So Brad Treliving, the general manager, um, has made some signings over the years. Now, the really interesting thing is that when he goes and signs a player, he doesn't necessarily leave them there for the duration of the contract. The number of the contracts that he's signed, about half of them, he's ended up buying out at the Calgary Flames because they haven't worked out, which makes absolutely no sense. If you're signing a player to a contract, you're not doing that in order to buy him out two years down the track. And if Brad Treleving cannot get a really good run out of his team this year, I think he's on to his third or fourth coach. Now, in the NHL, that's unheard of to be able to get through four coaches as a GM unless you've won a cup or maybe even two cups, in which point they'll say, well, okay, you've done this. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt. My problem with that is he keeps buying out players that he shouldn't be. I think Brad Treliving, if they don't at least make the conference final this year, I think Treliving gets sacked. There's there's one of your big calls for the year. We're going to look forward to seeing what happens with that. Let's move over to the Edmonton Oilers. You've called them second place, and they had a great year last year. And if it wasn't for the fact that they got basically bashed out of the um, out of the finals. Uh, we could be sitting here and talking about the Connor McDavid dynasty taking hold at the Oilers, something they haven't been able to experience for a very long time. Yeah, as I said before in the first half, um, Winnipeg really did try and tackle them out of the game, not with any sort of you know attacking of the puck, but literally physically tackling them. That's how much holding was going on, which is why Edmonton got swept in the first round of the playoffs. If the referees called any sort of power play, if the referees even called a quarter of the penalties that they should have in that series, Edmonton probably ends up sweeping Winnipeg because Connor McDavid, just unstoppable at five on five. Imagine what he's like when he's got the man advantage. The biggest challenge they've got is trying to figure out what they're doing with their defense because Adam Larson was drafted by Seattle in the expansion draft, which meant that they lost a lot of experience off the blue line. They went out and they badly overpaid for Duncan Keith. They really badly overpaid. But having said that, Duncan Keith has won a Stanley Cup. Duncan Keith has won three Stanley Cups. Duncan Keith is also not a bad shutdown defenseman these days, given that he is 38 years of age. So he's not going to do anything that is going to be spectacular, and he's reaching pretty much the end of his career. He's only got two years left, and I would imagine that he'll retire after this. I'm surprised that they took full freight. I'm surprised that they didn't ask Chicago to swallow a bit more salary given that they gave up Caleb Jones. Uh, I don't know what they're doing signing Cody Ceci. That is just an absolutely tragic signing. He was bad for Ottawa. He was bad for Toronto. He held his head just above water for Pittsburgh, and now they brought him in. I don't know what the story is there. 
Something that I did find interesting, though, is they signed Zach Hyman from Toronto. Now, Connor McDavid has not exactly had a whole lot of talent on his line so far. Zach Hyman is a genuine goal scorer. Zach Hyman is a genuine grinding tough player. You're right. Connor McDavid has the potential to create a dynasty on his own. What I'm looking forward to seeing is Connor McDavid playing with a competent line mate. And this, I think, is going to be really exciting. Remember that Connor McDavid last year scored 100 points. Now, in most seasons, we look at a player who scores 100 points and say, that's a really good achievement. Remembering that 100 points is normally scored in 82 games. Connor McDavid did it in 56. Connor McDavid scored at a rate. If he plays the full clip this year, he could be scoring 160 points. The all-time record, Wayne Gretzky, 212 points. That gives you the sort of idea of the company that Connor McDavid keeps. Connor McDavid can carry this team on his own this season, given they've also traded for Warren Fergley from Carolina, another big, strong body, really giving them a presence up front, Edmonton. They've got the skill. Now they're starting to add the size and the brawn. If they can get the defense right and their goaltending right, this is a genuine cup contender, but I got my worries in net. Now, here's the thing with Warren Fogel coming into the lineup. Does he play almost as a frontline protector for Connor McDavid? Is that he's going to be his main role? Uh, That will be a role if Connor McDavid gets picked on. He's already got Zach Hyman on his line, McDavid. So if Zach Hyman gets in there and just throws his weight around a little bit, then he'll be okay. If Zach Hyman isn't enough, then watch, as you say, for Fergley to go on that top line and then throw his weight around and almost act as McDavid's bodyguard. Because don't forget, Fergley can score as well. He's not just an enforcer. So I think it was an overpay giving up Ethan Bear, who I think is an excellent young defensive prospect. I think he's going to be a really top NHL defenseman. But sometimes you've got to make a trade that you don't want to make. You've got to overpay to get something you really, really need. Edmonton, they probably needed defense just as much, but Ethan Bear was the piece that Carolina wanted, so that's the piece Carolina got. But I think Edmonton looking really good for this season. They just need a real elite goaltender, and I think you can count them as a genuine contender. Let's move over to the LA Kings. You've got them in third place, and you've got them as one of the big improvers this year. No doubt about it. Los Angeles will be the team to take a huge step forward. They looked like they were taking a real step forward last season. They have one of the best prospect pipelines in the NHL, and those guys were just getting their feet wet in the National Hockey League last season and the season before as well. A couple of them have been been a bit injury prone. They've had some time to get themselves fit and healthy. And now we're really starting to see those benefits being delivered. And the thing is that they still have enough money in the tank if they really want to, to get into the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. We'll talk more about Jack Eichel next week with the Buffalo Sabres, but they have the ability to go out and still acquire pieces in free agency if they really want to. They've got the ability to go out and acquire Eichel with a lot of those prospects if they think that this is the right time to go. I'm not quite so sure that it is because they've got some real premium talent coming through. Gabe Velarde, you've got Quinton Byfield as well. Quinton Byfield, the idea of him playing third-line centre is just scary. But that's what you've got in Los Angeles. He could even play fourth-line centre because if Eichel comes in, he's going to play second-line centre. Philip Deneau, who's been signed from Montreal, could end up playing third-line centre. Deneau is a really, really good defensive forward. They've signed Alex Edler from Vancouver to add a little bit of depth with the blue line as well. I think they're not they're not a genuine contender, Los Angeles, but they will be the big improver without question. I don't think there's any doubt that they make the playoffs this season. Where, how far do you think they go? Are they going to be a genuine contender in, say, two to three years 
the way that this lineup is building, or is it a longer-term prospect? Uh, you can certainly count them amongst the contenders in two to three years. I think four to five years will be when you're talking about them as winning winning their next cup. I think those kids are just going to need a little bit more time. As far as what they do this year, I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to get absolutely stomped on in the first round of the playoffs because they're a young team. It doesn't matter how good you are. You need that experience, that toughness. And when you get to the playoffs, you're not really ready for it unless you've experienced it before. Very rarely do you see a team go into the playoffs without prior playoff experience, knowing exactly what it's about. So I, I think the kids will be found short when it comes to the playoffs, but that's no, that's no disgrace to be found short in the playoffs because some of the best teams we've ever seen in the NHL have gone to the playoffs at their first attempt and just been absolutely stomped on. So yeah, LA, they're not going to win it this season, but they will be the big improvers. And within a couple of years, we're going to start talking about them as the top echelon of teams again. Let's move on from a team on the up to a team that's about to hit rock bottom, the San Jose Sharks. It is just an absolute farce in San Jose at the moment. They haven't really been able to acquire anyone of real note. They brought in James Reimer as the goaltender. He's going to replace Martin Jones, who was bought out, and I can't say it was before time either. Martin Jones, he's he was saving at about 870, 880. Now, to give you an idea of that, that means that for every 100 shots he faces, he concedes 13, 12 or 13 goals. A good NHL goaltender is going to concede maybe nine at the real outside 10. A really good goaltender should be conceding eight. And he was conceding 13 per 100. Now, he, he was just leaking like a sieve, Martin Jones. I can see them improving a little bit now that they can have confidence in their goaltending. But San Jose, they're just getting so old. that They've got something like seven or eight players on their roster over the age of 30. And I'm not talking about 30, 31. I'm talking 34, 35, 36. These guys are getting old in a hurry. Eric Carlson's not what he was. Brent Burns isn't what he was. Vlasic isn't what he was. They're just, they're old and they don't have any kids coming through. And they can't do a rebuild because all those old guys have really big contracts. Eric Carlson is on $11 million a year for the next five years. I mean, that, that there's just no way out for San Jose. They just have to trade what they can, get draft picks, go into free agency, sign free agents, trade them at the deadline, get more draft picks and wait for these other veterans to come off the roster. It's really, really an ugly three or four years ahead for San Jose. And this is the kind of thing that can end up you know, crippling after that as well because although you're going to get into a rebuild phase and be able to get back up again, it's going to take so long that some of those young prospects may come in and demand trades out of there because they don't want to be part of it anymore. That's possible, particularly because you might find those guys that they're about to acquire in this draft or maybe that they have acquired in the immediate previous draft. They might be ready to go and start competing for a playoff berth and want to start winning in the playoffs, but they're not there yet. The team just isn't there yet. And you're right, it could be a little bit frustrating. And as I say, we'll get to Buffalo next week as a perfect example of what can go wrong in that situation. And yeah, I know, I'm sorry, Buffalo fans. It's going to get nasty for you next week. But if you're a genuine Buffalo fan, you already know what I'm going to say. So yeah, that's going to get ugly for them. But you're right, we've seen that. When if you go too hard on the tank, then it can have a lasting side effect. I don't think it's going to have a side effect here for San Jose because they've got so many experienced players who have had so much success. But 
if those guys really start to tune out or if they go on long-term injury reserve or if the attitude goes wrong, then, yeah, oh, San Jose, it's really ugly for them. And don't forget, they're not in a traditional hockey market. The Bay Area, San Francisco, San Jose is not a traditional hockey market. So if this goes real pear-shaped, we could be looking at relocation and just departing California. So San Jose, if things really go pear-shaped, it could turn into an existential crisis for them. Well, let's go to a team that has now entered the competition. Keith, we know what they look like. It is time to release the Kraken. Release the Kraken, go to the crack house, all those sort of jokes, and we'll leave those ones alone. But I, I found it really interesting. They did not do one side deal in the expansion draft because some of the players you've looked at, and they're, they're just terrible players, and they got traded back to their teams almost uh, – uh, almost immediately, um, Gavin Bayreuther from Columbus. i got to be perfectly honest, I'd never heard of Gavin Bayreuther, which showed you exactly how far down the charts Seattle were going to try and get something done. They could not get one side deal done. And this was because, apparently, Ron Francis went out, the general manager, and said, any player you want us to avoid, we are prepared to do that for the cost of a first and a third round pick. Now, he wasn't saying this for a particular type of player. He said any player. So if you wanted him to avoid your depth guy, it was going to cost you a first and a third. If you wanted him to avoid your 38-year-old captain, a first and a third. If you wanted him to avoid your premium prospect, it was a first and a third. That's lazy. And they did not – it is. It's really lazy because they could have done all sorts of stuff. All Ron Francis had to do – was say, okay, is there anybody you don't want me to take? Let's try and work something out. But instead, he locked himself in really early on and he said, I am taking who I want and it's going to cost you a first for me not to do it. And when he said that, he locked himself into a corner because if he was weak on that, then he could allow himself to be taken of, taken advantage of at future trade deadlines. All he had to say was, okay, we're going to wait and see what teams want to do and we're prepared to talk. And that's what Vegas did. Having said that, there are a lot of GMs that got scared off by how good the job was that George McPhee did for Vegas in doing all those side deals and prying players out of places and picking players off that hadn't really had opportunities yet. So there was a lot of fear that, okay, this might happen again with Seattle. You know what? We're just going to take the risk and say, okay, you do what you want. You take who you want and that's it. They got some real good players. Chris Dreidke, he, he was obviously leaving Florida. There was absolutely no doubt about that. They were always going to get someone good from Tampa. They did very well with Yanni Gord. I thought he was a good pickup. New York Islanders, Jordan Eberle, he is a great pickup for them. Only problem is Yanni Gord and Jordan Eberle are really the only genuine scoring forwards. They've got quite a few good defensemen. They've got Alexiak from Dallas, Dunn from St. Louis, Hayden Fleury from Anaheim, Giordano from Calgary, Larson from Edmonton. That, that's a pretty good top six. That's a very good top six. That's playoff worthy, and I do think they make the playoffs. My question is, what are they going to do when they get there? Because they can't score goals. There's no goal scoring on this team. So they're going to have to go out and find some goal scoring talent on the open market. I'm surprised that they took Vitek Vanacek from Washington and traded him straight back. I thought he was a real good get for them, and to send him straight back really surprised me. But obviously, they've got big plans for Joey Decord, who they took from Ottawa, and I'm still crying in my sleep about losing Joey Decord. Um, he's a real good goaltending prospect. But Seattle, I think they make the playoffs, which, one, is not really surprising because Vegas made the playoffs in their first season, and two, 
when you look at the strength overall of the Pacific Division, it shouldn't it shouldn't surprise that an expansion team should be in the running to make the playoffs in their first season. I don't think they get out of the first round, Seattle, but they've got the they've got the building blocks for a really good team in the next three or four years. Well, let's move on to the Vancouver Canucks. You've called them in fifth place. A couple of very interesting trades here, and I want to bring up in particular them picking up Oliver Ekman Larson from Arizona and losing Antoine Roussel to Arizona. Yeah, Roussel Erickson Beagle, that was part of that cap dump that I spoke about uh, in the first half of the show. Ekman Larson, he's past his best. Uh, he, he was the one real jewel in the crown in Arizona and it took everybody so long to cotton on to the fact that he was that good that they kept talking him up even after he was good. So he's been on the downward trend for a while now. They did really well to get Connor Garland. I thought that was a really good pickup. I like the fact that they've got Yaroslav Halak as the backup goalie to Thatcher Demko. I think that's a real good goaltending tandem. But... They lost Nate Schmidt off defense. Now, I thought they could have got a little bit more for him from Winnipeg, which is a little bit surprising. This team is not built to win long-term. This team is built now around Oliver Ekman Larson and his $8.25 million contract that still has another five or six years to run, which is an absolute albatross of a contract. They're, they're locked in here now, Vancouver. Ekman Larson, he's there for the long-term. He's not going anywhere. And Jim Benning, that is a real problem for him as GM because he's not going to be able to move him. That's going to reduce their salary cap room. That could explain why Elias Pettersson hasn't re-signed yet because they don't have the salary cap room. I would have been more interested in going to Arizona and saying, what can you, what do you want to take these three dead contracts off my hands in Beagle, Erickson, Roussel? And I would have said, no, I don't want Ekman Larson coming back. Or if I do take him back, you have to eat some salary. But Arizona, they didn't eat a cent of the Ekman-Larsen deal. And so Vancouver, I don't see them making the playoffs this season. I think they just miss out. And I think this is where the rebuild that they've been touting for a while could go sour. And you just wonder, with this kind of pickup as well, how do you rebuild a team in in this regards? Because this should have been, by all intents and purposes, it's like they're doing this as almost as a last stand play. But you know, it could end up like Custer's last stand where the entire team gets annihilated straight after. That's the problem when you've got such a, such a, I wouldn't quite say mediocre, but not quite above average player. He's a good player, Ekman Larson, bordering on very good, but he's not $8.25 million a year good. If you're giving Ekman Larson fair value in free agency right now, it's somewhere around that five to $6 million mark, such is the way he's gone downhill. Now, that's a lot of salary to be carrying for a guy who right now is not worth it. And as he gets older and older, he's going to be less and less worth that contract. It could be that by the time you get to the last year of the deal, he may not be worth taking on for another team, even if Vancouver eats 50% of the deal. That's how bad things are getting. So Jim Benning, I think you're right. I think this is his last stand. And I don't think it's too much longer until he gets shown the door and Ekman Larson becomes somebody else's problem. Let's move on to the last team of the of the night here. It's, it is the Vegas Golden Knights. You've called them in first place. We've mentioned a couple of the trades already that have, that have impacted them. Marc-Andre Fleury, obviously, off to Chicago. Uh, being the big one, the the virtual swap between Nolan Patrick and Cody Glass. But the Golden Knights, geez, they look strong again this year. Yeah, the only thing that surprised me about the Golden Knights was that they didn't find a way to swing a deal for Jack Eichel. Now, 
Jack Eichel, he's featured a lot, and he'll feature again prominently next week. He's the first-line center that Vegas needs. They don't have that first-line center to be able to drive play down the middle. They've offloaded Marc-Andre Fleury as a cap dump. They ended up bringing in Laurent Brossois uh, from Winnipeg as the backup. He's only going to cost them a million and change, maybe two million. So that was a really good effort to do that. Evgeny Dadanov, I think he's going to offer them a new angle. He didn't fit in in Ottawa with their power play, uh, giving up Nick Holden and a pick for him. Uh, Nick Holden was a depth defenseman. I think that was a really good bit of business from Vegas, but they really need that that center to really drive play down the middle. I just wonder if Calgary end up dropping out of the race early on in the season in the Pacific Division, whether Vegas goes to Calgary and starts asking questions about Sean Monaghan. Because while he's not an elite first-line centre, he can fill that real high-end centre role. He might be a poor man's first-line centre, but he can still fill the role of a playmaking first-line centre, Sean Monaghan. So I'm just wondering whether they do that. They might even go to San Jose again. They're shopping in the division, which can get dangerous, and ask questions about Thomas Hurdle, although he's definitely not a first-line centre, but he's an option for them. So there's centre options out there for Vegas, and I think they'll have to make an acquisition of one of those. But at the moment, they've done really well. Yep, Nolan Patrick for Cody Glass, direct swap. They know what they're getting with Nolan Patrick, and they're taking a punt that in a new setup, Nolan Patrick will be able to thrive. I don't think he will because I was underwhelmed by Nolan Patrick when he was in his draft year, when he went first overall. I was surprised that he did go first. So I don't know whether Nolan Patrick is really the long-term option there either, but they might be taking a punt and thinking, you know what, he might be a first-line centre down the track. We'll just wait and see. But Vegas, they, they are the standout candidate in the Pacific Division. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And unless they run into some real injury problems, I think they're going to be right up there again this season. Are they cup contenders? They are a genuine cup contender. I think I would feel much more comfortable about making them a genuine contender. Again, if they had that genuine first-line centre, they need that first-line centre to be able to drive play in the playoffs. They can stop goals at a reasonable clip. They, they don't leak like a sieve in the playoffs, but they can't score in the playoffs. And that's the problem. They need to learn to be able to score in the playoffs. They need a guy who can drive scoring in the playoffs. And if they don't have that kind of a player, then they're going to be found struggling and wanting again. Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, great players, but if they get shut down, they need another scoring option, and at the moment, they don't have it. Well, there you are, ladies and gentlemen. In the Pacific Division, we are tipping the Vegas Golden Knights, the Edmonton Oilers, the Los Angeles Kings, and the Seattle Kraken to make it off into the playoffs. Should be a fascinating season all round, and one to watch out for, as you mentioned, Keith, the LA Kings potentially the big improvers this year? I think they'll be the big improvers right across the league. I think they're the ones with the biggest step to take this year, and I think they will because they're also in one of the weaker divisions, and I think that's what will stand them in really good stead to be able to take that step forward. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is full-time here on Splinters. I want to thank the Lord Mayor for joining us. You'll be back with us next week to talk about the conference that really matters, the Eastern Conference. Yes, I know that we leave the rest for the West and then we get to the beasts of the East and everybody knows that the Eastern Conference is more important than the Western Conference and everybody knows that the Atlantic Division is more important than the Metro Division as well. This, this not that we're biased true. in any way, shape or form. Not that no, we're biased. No, absolutely not. Who who couldn't tell that there's two guys here who just happen to support Canada over the USA? Let's face it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Ladies and gentlemen, that is full-time here on Splinters the Bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. On behalf of the Lord Mayor, Keith Topolsky, I'm the Bull Anthony Caruso. Run harder, run home. Good night. Thank <laughs> you.